Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey Hogan, your host. And if you're joining for the first time, what you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your practice, but let's do it in concise segments of time. Today, we're going to be covering the brachial plexus. And if you're like me, learning the brachial plexus in school was so frustrating and I might be emotionally scarred from it. I might be. Um, not really, but it is something that I think confuses a lot of people. We tend to memorize it and then when we don't use it, we lose it. But it's so helpful for us to be able to utilize in our clinical practice as well. Um, not just for a fancy party trick that nobody would probably care about, but for us to be able to use our knowledge of anatomy to see what's there on, hey, the injury is here, what tissues might be affected, or hey, do I need to differentiate between a spinal level nerve injury or a peripheral nerve injury, knowing what levels are in each peripheral nerve so that you can kind of tease that out. Plus, we're going to be covering more of the nerves of the arm in the future, and I feel like the brachial plexus is a good place to start. So this is where we're going to start. So we're going to cover anatomy first, going from the components of the brachial plexus, roots, trunks, divisions, cords, branches, and then go into the types of brachial plexus injuries after. So if you've got that down, just go ahead and skip to the middle part if you want to learn more about injuries of the brachial plexus and how you know that something is up. But let's get started. First of all, what is the brachial plexus? Essentially, this is just a group of nerves that run from C5 to T1 all the way down into our arm. It it innervates the upper extremity, part of the upper thoracic wall, and some of the cervical structures. And so each portion of the brachial plexus is named differently, and there's mnemonics for this that you can remember. Um, The one that I used in PT school was Real Texans Drink Cold Beer, but maybe I'm just biased because I'm based in Texas. We'll see. Uh, If you've got another one, just use that one but we are starting off with the roots. So going from cervical to the arm. So in the roots, basically from each spinal level, from C5 to T1, those are our roots. And then they're going to combine into trunks, your upper, middle, and lower trunks once they start progressing towards the arm. So your upper trunk, which makes sense because it's upper levels, is C5 and C6. Middle is made up of C7, and then lower is C8 and T1. You'll notice that there's branches, especially if you're looking at a picture of the brachial plexus, that run off of different portions of these. Um, So we're going to kind of go over this too, but in this portion for the trunks, the only one that has has branches off from it is the upper trunk, and that's made up of the subclavian nerve and suprascapular nerve. When we move into divisions, you just have your anterior division and posterior division. There's no portions that branch off from this part. And then we go from trunks to divisions to cords. And in our cords, we have the posterior cord, lateral cord, and medial cord. You'll be wondering, why does it go in names of like upper and lower, anterior, posterior? And here we are talking about medial lateral, it's location-based. But the thing about this one in the cords is it's named according to the position to the axillary artery in its middle portion. 
So like, for example, the lateral cord is lateral to the axillary artery, hence the name. So that may help you not mistaking lateral cord for calling it like the upper cord or something like that. That's not a thing. Okay. So we have our posterior cord. Um, Fun fact, that's the only one that gets all input from all roots C5 to T1. You have your lateral, which is made up of the anterior divisions of the upper and middle trunk. And then medial is a continuation of the anterior division of the lower trunk. So we've got some branches here in our posterior cord. You have the upper subscapular branch, the long thoracic nerve, and the lower subscapular nerve. In your lateral cord, you have the lateral pectoral nerve, which makes sense. Lateral cord, lateral pectoral nerve. And then in your medial cord, you have branches of the medial pectoral nerve, medial cutaneous nerve of the arm, and medial cutaneous nerve of the forearm. Okay, so now we're still traveling down the arm and we land on branches. This is the last portion of the brachial plexus. So what's going to happen is it's going to turn into five branches. Your radial, axillary, ulnar, median, and musculocutaneous nerves. Our radial and axillary nerves come from our posterior cord. Ulnar comes from your medial cord, and half of your median nerve comes from your medial cord. In fact, the medial root of the median nerve. For the musculocutaneous nerve, that comes more from your lateral cord. The unique thing about the median nerve or median nerve branch is that it's going to be a combination of the medial root of the median nerve from the medial cord and the lateral root for the median nerve in the lateral cord and combine together into the median nerve. Okay. So if we go more specifically into levels, again, we've got our radial nerve that comes from C5 to T1. That's going to help us control the muscles in our upper arm, elbow, forearm, and hand. Axillary is from C5 and C6, and that's going to help the shoulder rotate and lift the arm away from the body. Ulnar is C8 to T1, so with this, we're looking more at fine motor control of the fingers. Median nerve is C6 to T1, and we're looking more at forearm movement and parts of the hand. And then your musculocutaneous nerve is C5 and C- through C7, and this helps with flexing muscles in the upper arm and shoulder and elbow. All right, so there's our anatomy. We've got roots, trunks, divisions, cords, and branches. Real Texans drink cold beer. Now, what can go wrong with the brachial plexus? A lot of times, injuries happen from pressure, stress, or an overstretch. And this could be from trauma, it could be from a, like a cut, damage from radiation. Um, childbirth injuries are pretty common, but if we are evaluating it on, hey, do they need conservative treatment or surgery? A lot of times the way that they're evaluated are with like an electromyography, a CT, myelography, or an MRI. So there are different injuries. I'm going to name them all really quick. So you have your brachial plexus neuropraxia, brachial plexus rupture, brachial plexus neuroma, brachial neuritis, brachial plexus avulsion. Um, But let's dive a little bit deeper into They sound like a lot of fancy names. So So brachial plexus neuropraxia is basically when you stretch the nerves to the point of injury, and this can be from compression or from traction. 
Compression is when often when the nerve root is compressed by rotation of the head. And this type of injury is actually the most common. You'll see it a lot in your older population. Traction is when the nerve is pulled and it's usually downward. So we see this a little bit more in our adolescents and our young adults. Both of these are often called burners or stingers because a lot of their symptoms are burning or stinging. What a shock. Um, And by the way, another symptom can be an electric shock. So that's brachial plexus neuropraxia. Brachial plexus rupture is a little more severe, and that's when it's such a forceful stretch that it can actually cause the nerves to tear, um, which results in weakness in the shoulder, arm, or hand. Pretty severe pain. Does not feel good. This may be surgical, just depending on the location and severity of the injury. So brachial plexus rupture. Moving on to brachial plexus neuroma, this happens when we have scar tissue buildup because the nerve is trying to repair itself from an injury. That actually can cause a painful knot that sometimes has to be removed surgically. So brachial plexus neuroma. Brachial neuritis is also known as Parsonage-Turner syndrome. This is actually a rare progressive disorder, and we don't really know where it's from. Some people think it's an autoimmune response to various things, but what happens is it can it can cause sudden severe shoulder and upper arm pain, and this can actually progress from pain to weakness, muscle loss, and even loss of sensation. So, Parsonage-Turner syndrome. Brachial plexus avulsion is when the nerve root is completely separated from the spinal cord from a trauma, like a motor vehicle accident or a pretty bad fall. And this is pretty severe. It can actually cause permanent weakness, paralysis, and loss of feeling because it's pretty hard to surgically reattach the nerves with this type of injury. Um, So definitely not as great of a prognosis with this one. Now, side note, I did mention that childbirth injury can also cause some brachial plexus injuries, and there's two types. There's Herb's palsy, which is an upper brachial plexus injury, and this causes numbness and loss of motion around the shoulder. So that child's going to have a hard time flexing their elbow and lifting their arm or even just bringing objects to their mouth. Clumpk palsy is a lower brachial plexus injury, and this causes loss of motion and or sensation in the wrist and hand. So they may have a hard time like being able to move their fingers around. Now, if you were paying attention to anatomy and what I was saying about what branches of the nerves control what movement, this should make sense to you. Because if you if you take into account, for example, the lower roots that make up eventually like the ulnar nerve, they help with our intrinsics of our hand. So if we have a lower brachial plexus injury, we're going to have more issues with things there versus an upper brachial plexus injury. Like say, for example, your auxiliary nerve was damaged in conjunction with other things most likely. Then yeah, you're going to have a hard time abducting your arm or being able to flex your elbow like a musculocutaneous nerve because those were injured. So again, this is why it's important to understand your anatomy and fundamentals because this is going to help you to not have to memorize so much. If you're like me, I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. And so the more that you can use logic for, I think the more you're able to expand off of your knowledge and use it for future things that you learn. But that's an aside. So those are common injuries that we'll see. But what do we do about it? 
So I already mentioned that there's several surgical options, but sometimes they can be treated conservatively too. It's not like we rush everybody off to go get operated on conservatively. It just depends on how severe the the symptoms are. But sometimes we're able to start conservative treatment to strengthen muscles that are functional and help the patient to maintain range of motion of their upper extremity. Now, this patient's probably going to have some chronic edema just due to not being able to move their arm if if they're that type of injury um, and sympathetic denervation. So a lot of times we'll wrap up their arm and keep it elevated so that we can help manage that edema. And then, of course, medication for handling neuropathic pain. Um, are there other ways to treat it out there? Yes, but we're not going to go over that in this episode. From this episode, your main takeaways should be the components of the brachial plexus and its branches and what can go wrong with the brachial plexus. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, just reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com or, you know, just find me at Instagram uh, at ptsnackspodcast. Um, Join the community. I often post up free study content if that's something that you are interested in. By all means, join us. Um, I'm also going to be starting a newsletter soon. So if you're interested in that, maybe social media is not really your thing. There's a link on my website that you can join. Um, so you can stay tuned for you know just more information, updates, be a part of the community that way as well. Um, if you are enjoying the show and you haven't already, go ahead and hit follow so you don't miss out on any future content. And if you're really enjoying it, do me a favor and write me a review on Apple Podcasts. That just helps me out. Or more importantly to me is just tell someone that you think would benefit from it. This podcast is meant to be concise and helpful. So the more people that I can help, the more that it is fulfilling its original purpose. And that is what I truly care about. But if you want to support the show beyond telling somebody about it, writing a review, following, joining the community, any of those plentiful options, you can also help to support financially through the link, buy me a coffee below in the show notes. That just helps me to cover things like my overhead for the podcast um, and and just make sure that I'm able to keep researching content that is helpful for the community. So that's it for today. I'm really glad that you guys tuned in and you hung in until the very end. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and until next time.